In the name of Jesus, amen. Miracle after miracle, Jesus performs another one today. And after Christ healed the Canaanite woman's daughter who was demon-oppressed, and after he fed 4,000 people in the wilderness with nothing, a deaf man is placed at the feet of Jesus to be healed. And he takes this deaf man aside and does what at first seems really, really weird, something really odd. You see these actions that Jesus is doing. And Jesus, what Jesus does is he takes his fingers and he puts them into the man's ears. He spits and he touches the man's tongue. And then he looks to heaven and he sighs and then he says, Ephetha, be opened. So the question is, what is Jesus doing here? And did he have to do this? It's not some hocus-pocus or uh, magic ritual or something that he's performing here. He's actually communicating with this deaf man. He's created some sort of makeshift impromptu sign language to communicate with this man who cannot speak or understand language. And so Jesus is telling the man what he's about to do right before he does what he's about to do. So Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ears as if to say, Look, I know you're deaf and something is preventing you from hearing, but I myself am going to take that away. And then Jesus spits and touches his tongue as if to say, Look, this tongue of yours, which is not moving rightly and is stuck and doesn't let you speak, I'm going to loosen it and you'll speak again. And then Jesus looks into heaven. He looks up. As if to say, look and see with what power I do these things. That I am doing them because I have come from the right hand of God, my Father who is in heaven. And then Jesus sighs. And he says, Ephetha, that's Aramaic for be opened. And these are the very first words that this man hears with his ears. And the very first voice that this man hears is the voice of Jesus the voice of God. And even though Jesus told him not to tell anyone, the man whose mouth was closed and ears were once closed refused to then close his mouth again and his ears to the word of God. He proclaims the works of Christ even more zealously. This is a beautiful text that shows the power of Christ over all creation. That shows that he is the author and creator of life. And it shows how loving and kind-hearted he is to all sinners, regardless of who they are, and the great compassion on which he has uh, on, on all of his dear children as they live in this veil of tears. And yet there's one part in this text, so all of these things are good, but there's one part or one word in this text that I want you to focus on today. And it's the word sigh. The original Greek of the New Testament says it a little more precisely. It says he groaned. So right after Jesus did his sign language, he looks to heaven and he sighs. That is, he groans. He goes, "Ah." so why is this? He groans because he's worn out by this world of sorrow and suffering. It's not that he's tired of performing miracles. He's tired of having to perform miracles. When he created this world, he didn't create a world that needed miracles. Because he created a world that was perfect, that didn't need anything to be corrected. He created a world where all ears could hear and all mouths could speak. 
He created a world where every single eye would see and all minds would think and every sense would sense. And he created a world where families flourished and love was pure. His world that he created had no crippled or poor or hungry or needy or thirsty or sad. In the world he created, demons didn't possess or oppress children and crowds didn't go hungry. The world he made was filled with life and knew nothing of sin or death or sorrow. He created everything to be good. And yet, as he walks through Tyre and Sidon, as he walks through the Decapolis, as he walks through this world after the fall of man into sin, left and right, he finds nothing but sin and death and sadness. Jesus walks on this guilty sod and is met with problem after problem, with rejection after rejection, tear after tear, and sin after sin. There's no place he can go to get away from it. He can't even get to where he's trying to go without being met with some horrible consequence of sin on the way. So he sighs, he groans, he's exhausted. He's exhausted of all the trouble and the heartache he sees in this world, the heartache that he did not bring into it yet is here. He sees all this evil and misery. So to be honest, as a pastor, I can sympathize with Jesus here. Pastors hear a lot of bad news. And that's what most people talk to pastors about. And that's when most people start to come back to church, is after bad things have happened. And no matter how much these pastors uh, admonish their congregation to love one another, They look around their congregation and they see members turning against one another. They see them speaking behind each other's backs. They see them holding grudges for years without end. They look around and see members they love so much dive headfirst into public and manifest sin, making a shipwreck of their faith. They pour in hours of work and energy into sermons and Bible studies only to have no one show up. They see Christians drop thousands on whatever their heart desires while they watch the finances of the church dwindle and fade as churches close their doors throughout the nation. They visit members and they pray for them in their home and they give everything they have as they visit in the hospitals only to see the bodies of the members they love so much decaying right before their very eyes. When we see that nothing in the church is going well, we groan too. And we hear all of these things, these phone call after phone call, or visit after visit, day after day, year after year. We're met with so much fatigue and weariness that we just say, "Ah, not again. We can't get away from it. And I know that I'm not alone in this. I know that you groan too when your life does not go well. When you see that nothing is working like it should when families fall apart, or husbands don't love their wives as Christ loves the church, or wives don't submit to their husbands as to the Lord, or parents who refuse to train their children up in the way they should go, and children who refuse to honor their father and their mother. And you see husbands and wives deny God's blessing of children to themselves for the sake of worldly gain. And you see young couples defile the marriage bed rather than keeping it pure. You see men burn with passion for other men. You see racism and bigotry 
and hatred all around you. You see, Christians refuse to speak well of one another, to fall away from the church. You see, those blessed by God start to covet things that are not theirs and they become discontent with all the things that God has given them. You see thievery and bloodshed and poverty in every single corner of this earth. And there's no one there to stop it. You see sin and you see death. You see the devil's works and you see the devil's ways everywhere you turn. And when you see it, your only response is to sigh or to groan. Even more, when we see everything that's wrong with this world, we, unlike Jesus, are reminded of all the things that are wrong with us. We see that nothing works well in us either. Or the things that did work well, stop. Our minds are replete with regret. And our hearts are hardened by hardship. Revenge starts to course through our veins and our tongues still taste of slander and self-righteousness. Our consciences stand condemned. Our souls are enslaved to sin. And disease and cancer and sickness wreak havoc on the body that we have. Our eyes don't work like they should. Our legs don't move like they used to. Our brains fall apart and crumble. And our pillows are filled with tears. And many times we're so inundated in such sorrow and sadness that we can't even feel that sadness anymore. That these troubles deplete our energy. They, they numb our hearts. They desensitize us to everything. We get exhausted from being exhausted, sick and tired of being sick and tired and let down by being let down again and again. And when we see these things, we don't even have words for it. We don't even know what to say. We're speechless. We don't even know how to pray in those moments, and we just groan. Now, you have to understand that it's not a sin to become exhausted. Jesus was exhausted, and he groaned, and he didn't sin. To be exhausted means you still trust in God's word, but you're just, not, but, but, but you're just getting seriously and really tired of all of the world around you and of the sin that you find in your own flesh. So exhaustion isn't sinful. Despair is. God doesn't tell us never to be exhausted, but he does tell us not to despair. And here's the conflict. When we are exhausted, we often despair. And to despair means to lose hope. It means to lose faith in God's promise. It means to stop believing that God will do what he promised he would do. When you, when, when you fall into despair, you stop expecting God to keep his word. You stop expecting him to give you your daily bread. You stop expecting him to forgive your sin. And that's the great temptation that we face. When we're confronted with all these things in life, when we're overwhelmed by all the things that don't go well, when we see all the things around us that it's nothing but doom and gloom and guilt around us, we not only get tired of that ungodliness, but we many times get tired of God himself. When exhaustion becomes despair, it's not just our energy that begins to fade. It's our faith. So when you become feeble and weary by the weight of your sin, when you feel the crushing and debilitating blow of God's 
curse on man. When you lose your vigor and your zeal, your liveliness and your strength and your ability to pay attention to his word and you start to lose hope in God, what do you do? You repent and you turn from your weariness and your despair and you set your eyes on Christ. When you're depleted of all of your energy, when you're weighed down by exhaustion, when you groan and sigh and exhale in anguish, then you remember the one who groaned and sighed and exhaled in anguish for you. When you huff at all of the ills that annoy you here in this life, you remember Christ who breathed out his final breath for you and who forgave all of your sin and every sin against you. When you're exhausted by the sin and stress of this life, turn to the exhaustion of Christ, whose love you cannot exhaust or deplete. When the guilt and anguish of this life surrounds you, remember the thorns that surrounded the sacred head of your dear Lord. Remember the blood he spilled to redeem you, to make you his own. Remember that even in the midst of his exhaustion, he didn't despair of the Father and he never gave up on you. And just as your dear Lord groaned before healing this man of the consequence of sin, Jesus went to the cross and groaned before healing the world of its sin and condemnation. The exhaustion of Christ is your strength. The depletion of his energy is your life. And the final breath in his lungs is the beginning of yours. On that cross, he makes all things well. So while you wade through this veil of tears, you remember your dear Lord Jesus Christ, who even though he groaned out of frustration and disappointment at the state of this world, he didn't give up. Remember Christ who didn't simply say, look, well, what's the point of healing this man if he's going to die anyway? And what's the point of forgiving this world if they're just going to run headlong into sin anyway? Rather, you remember that Christ restored the image of God into this man and that he restores this man's tongue and ears to make all things well with him. And remember that Christ forgave the sins of this world to make all things well with you. So you put your hope and your confidence and your trust in Christ who refused to doubt the word of God and who believed every word and promise even when dying. You place your certainty not in the sorrow that you see but in the fact that Christ trusted the Father that he would keep his word even if he didn't see it in that moment. So in the midst of whatever suffering and sorrow of this world, even though Jesus was worn down and exhausted, he continued to cling to his dear Father in heaven. He never gave up once or despaired for a second. And neither should you. Dear saints, you have no reason to give up or despair because Christ is for you. Who can be against you? As you groan along with all of creation for its redemption, the Holy Spirit will intercede for you with groanings too deep for words and will give you all that is best. Though a thousand things in this life will fail you, the words of Christ will not. When your life doesn't go well, remember that Jesus does all things well. So no matter what terrible things you've seen or experienced in the past here in this life, No matter what grief and sorrow you felt, Christ will make all things well. He promised it. And when the day comes that you too will lie deaf and mute in that grave, on that day when your life comes to an end and when you let out your final sigh, your final groan, and when you say goodbye to all of the sorrow and anguish of this life, 
Don't forget what he promised you. That the very first voice you will hear from that grave will be his. And that the very first words you will hear will be these. Be opened. As your Lord opens your ears to hear his word. As he opens the grave to let you out. As he opens your mouth to declare his praise without ending. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.